So the theme of this conference is Holy Spirit come. And that's really important because a lot of times God has to do something to you before he can do it through you. In fact, that's what he said to his first disciples. He says, don't even start. Don't leave Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit comes. But when the Holy Spirit comes, he doesn't come in little drops. He comes like a flood, like a wind, like fire. Jesus said you would be baptized in the Spirit, which is to be completely overwhelmed, to be surrounded, to be covered by the Spirit. And when that happens, strange things start to happen. About 30 years ago, right when I was beginning this journey, I was at a conference very much like this in Anaheim, California, and it was over. And I was waiting for a ride back to my hotel, and they were stacking the chairs back up. So I started helping them. And I looked over across the room, and John Wimber was talking to a young man on the other side of the room and not really paying very much attention. They're just having a conversation. We're stacking chairs. All of a sudden, this guy goes completely horizontal in midair, like that. Bam, down on the floor and starts screaming out of nowhere. I was like, whoa. That must have been some conversation. <laughs> and John looks at him and kind of sighs and gets down. It's hard for John to get down on the ground. Continues praying for him and we keep stacking chairs. And Eventually it kind of subsides and it's all done and the chairs are stacked and we're all kind of going out of the building and we're right in the doorway and the guy turns and says something to John and he says, no, that's not of the Holy Spirit. And he says, Holy Spirit, come. Boom, right there in the middle of the doorway, the guy's back down on the ground and he's screaming. And, God sa and John just starts saying, Take him, take him, take him. And the more he does it, the more the guy's like writhing around and screaming. And finally it stops, but when it stops, he is like the most drunk person you've ever seen. Like he cannot get to his seat. He can't speak. He's completely relaxed <laughs> and, and just completely loose. It took us four people to stuff him into the back of the car took him back to his hotel room where I later learned he spent the whole night falling out of his bed and crawling back in <laughs> and falling out of his bed. And it turned out he was a young leader in the Catholic charismatic movement. And the next day, he got on a plane, went to Pittsburgh where there was a gathering of major Catholic charismatic leaders in the United States. He sits down and he starts telling the guys, I need to tell you about what happened to me yesterday. And he starts recounting the story about how the Holy Spirit came in a whole different way than he expected. And as he's recounting the story, the power of the Holy Spirit falls on the group. They're seated around a table in this hotel room and they find themselves being overwhelmed by the Spirit, falling out of their chairs onto the floor. And one of them 
was a Catholic priest named Father Brutalici, who is the one who told us this part of the story. And so there's Father Brutalici, and he's falling out of his chair onto the ground, and he keeps saying to God, but God, I'm an educated man. <laughs> and every time he says, but God, I'm an educated man, there's another jolt. Like, you think you're educated? Bam, down you go. This went on for some period of time. I don't know how long. So finally, it's sort of like, what was that? Shortly thereafter, I don't know how long, maybe a couple of weeks, maybe a month, Father Brutalici, the Catholic priest, was supposed to participate in an ordination service for a Roman Catholic priest. And I don't know how many of you are from a Catholic background, but the way that they do it is the bishop is there, and the candidates for the priesthood are to lie in front of the altar, prostrate on the ground, and they go through the liturgy. And at one point in the liturgy, the bishop invites the Holy Spirit to come on these new priests. And he, it's, it's the, the very ancient prayer, actually, come Holy Spirit. So Father Bertolici is standing over on the side. He's not leading the service. He's just like one of half a dozen priests that are also there. But under his breath, as the bishop says, come Holy Spirit, he says, come Holy Spirit. And the power of God hits these priests that are prostrate on the floor, and they start shaking, and one of them starts speaking in tongues. And they thought, like, whoa, that's a little bit more than the liturgy anticipated. <laughs> and afterwards... One of the candidates comes up to Father Bertolici and says, what did you say? What were you praying? And he says, what do you mean? What, what are you talking about? You know, the bishop was praying. He says, no, I saw you praying. And he says, how do you know I was praying? He says, I saw fire coming out of your mouth. When the spirit comes, things happen. But he has to come so that things can happen through you. Now, a lot of times... The first thing that happens is we come to the end of ourselves. So I was a kid. I, uh, my father was a pastor. My grandfather was a pastor. When I was your age, I vowed I will never be a pastor. <laughs> you can see how that worked out. <laughs> and, uh, but we had a really good family. It was, you know, very loving, very solid, you know, Good, good heritage. We went to church three times a week because we were Pentecostals. I got saved hundreds and hundreds of times. <laughs> uh, I was a late bloomer. I spoke in tongues at 11 when most of my friends managed to do that at 9. I was starting to think something was wrong with me. So it was that kind of environment that I grew up in. And, you know, there, was, there eventually, of course, comes to the point where you have to decide, you know, am I going to make my faith my own? And I was anticipating going to university, and I thought, I, when I go to university, I can be any kind of person I want to be. I don't have to follow Jesus then. I can do whatever I want when I go to uni. Uh, what do I want to do? And I didn't really talk to anybody. I just thought about it, and I watched. And after about six months of kind of thinking and watching, I decided, you know, it just looks to me like the people that follow Jesus lead better lives. They just seemed happier 
they just seemed more steady. It just seemed like it was a better life. So I decided, eh, I, I think I'm going to go that way. And I decided, well, if I'm going to spend the rest of my life going that way, um, I might as well like go all out. I don't want to do it halfway if I'm going to spend my whole life doing this. And so I just said, God, from now on, no matter what I ask for, our agreement is you're going to do what you want in my life, which he has been very faithful to maintain and has often overridden my prayers. <laughs> so I had a very solid background. I went to university. Long story short, it was Jesus Movement days. When I got there, there were two believers. When I left there, 10% of the student body were part of our little CU group. And we also started a church while we were at it, by accident. We, there was, we were using a car to drive to a church, and the car broke down, and so then we started a church ourselves. And interestingly, that church is still there. <laughs> so I was 21 at the first church. I'd never really experienced failure. I went to really good school, got really good grades. Moved to Chicago after graduation, started another church so I could go to it. <laughs> you know, if you don't like the churches in your town, just start one. <laughs> so, did that, and then we felt called to go to the inner city in Chicago and kind of start a branch of our church. And when I got there, nothing worked. And not only did nothing work, but for the first time in my life, it felt like God wasn't there. Like, I turned right, God turned left. What happened? I thought, well, I was obeying God, and I went there, and it's like all of a sudden there's no sense of his presence, couldn't hear God, very difficult to pray, nothing was working, nobody was coming to Jesus. And I went into a place of, you know, feeling every day like I was failing, and during that time, went into a pretty deep, what I now know is a depression. I, w I was very depressed, but it was the early 1980s. I didn't even know what that was. And uh, at one point, I tried to close the church plant. I said, oh, this is not working. Let's quit and go home. But the day before I tried to close it, George Claudio gave his life to Jesus. And I was very upset about that because now I can't close the church because we got to stay and take care of this baby Christian. And it's sort of like, I can't get this church to go, and I can't kill the thing either. It's sort of like, I can't get out of this vice. It turned out George had lots of relatives, and slowly they all started coming to Jesus, and that church is still there. But the interesting thing was that during that time, what happened was I came to the end of myself. I came to the place where I realized what I can do only goes so far. And one of the realities is that you may very well not be able, in fact, I think probably you could argue all of us, cannot fulfill our destiny in Christ until we come to the end of ourselves. And because what God intends, the destiny he has for you is that you should live a life that is beyond human explanation. A life that is beyond human explanation, that when people look at what happens in your life, they must conclude the only way this can happen is that Jesus is alive. 
But for that to happen, you got to come to the end of yourself. And that's what happened with me. I came to the end of myself. I thought the church was the project, but actually it was me. At the end of that time, long story short, we met the vineyard, and we heard about the vineyard, and we thought, that sounds interesting. We, like, we, we kind of like the way they do things. We like the fact that it's low-key, that it's kind of naturally supernatural. You don't have to act like Benny Hen to be with the Holy Spirit. You know, I was never going to do that, you know, and... So, but we were from Chicago, and we were a little bit skeptical, so we, took, we selected three of us, including myself, to go out to Anaheim and just see if this was real. Like, is it really real on the ground the way they say it is? And we got out there, and it turned out there was a friend there that we knew who had a meeting running that afternoon, and he says, John Wimber's agreed to be my guest speaker because my original speaker couldn't come. Why don't you come, and you can hear John Wimber. So I thought, that's great. So we get there, and there's about 50 people in the room. And John gives a talk about how leaders should be servants, which is a pretty good talk to hear. But I, I wasn't, it wasn't, didn't seem remarkable at the moment. And at the end, he just says, I think the Holy Spirit wants to do some things here today. So tell you what, everybody, just stand. So everybody stands up. He says, now just relax. You can open your eyes or close your eyes. It doesn't matter. So I thought, well, I'm going to open my eyes. I want to see what happens. So we're standing there. And then, to my surprise, he just prays this prayer like this. Holy Spirit, we invite you to come. And then we're waiting. And we're waiting. And we're waiting. And, and you know, when, when you've got a big group like this and you're waiting and you're waiting, and you're waiting. You know, 15 seconds seems like a long time. 30 seconds is an eternity. I think about 90 seconds I thought, I knew it, the Holy Spirit's busy somewhere else. <laughs> the day that I'm here, he's somewhere else. And then he, like, out of the blue, seemingly for no apparent reason, says, look at this guy in the front row. See the Holy Spirit come on him? I'm thinking, what? What are you talking about? Like, what are we supposed to see? Like, is it lights? I don't see any lights. Doves? Does, you know, what does the Holy Spirit look like? What are you talking about? See the Holy Spirit coming on this guy. And so I'm kind of wondering, like, what, what is this talk? And he goes up to the guy. He touches him on the forehead. The guy starts sobbing. Oh, well, that's interesting. Then the guy's wife, next to him, she starts sobbing. And I thought, well, that figures. She's probably been waiting for him to break down for 10 years. <laughs> then it kind of gets quiet again. And uh, so, you know, we're all just kind of standing there. And then there's this, on the roll behind me, there's this lady a little bit, few seats over, just so she's just barely in my peripheral vision, and she starts shaking her hands like this. And I'm thinking, boy, where'd they get her? Where are the ushers? She needs help. I knew it. California, land of fruits and nuts. I'm basically just in a complete judgmental mode with the way that she's behaving. It just seems like that is so bizarre. That is like wacko. 
And just at that moment, John Limber, like, says a lot more forcefully, like, you know, like we were a little bit slow, now receive the Holy Spirit. And when he did, it was like a fist hit me in the chest and just about knocked me over my chair. Now, at that moment, time slowed down for me a lot. My first thought was, I must regain control of my body in the next split second for fear that I will end up looking like her. <laughs> that, was my, that was number one concern. I regained control of body, that's number one. My second thought was, since when did God hit people? And then I remembered the saw on the road to Damascus, and I thought, oh, yeah, well, I should count myself lucky. At least I can still see. (laughs) And then I thought, hold on. That was real. That was real. That was, like, really real. Like, I suddenly realized, like, I'd always kind of thought the Holy Spirit was like a concept, like something in mass, or that he was an emotional state. But this was very certainly like no experience ever in mass. An emotional state? No, it wasn't that, because I, was I was busy judging Lady Shaky Hands over here. So it wasn't like some emotional experience. It was like brute force. It was like real. And I realized at some level, even though I'd grown up in a Pentecostal church and spoken in tongues since I was 11, there was at another level in my heart where I didn't believe the Holy Spirit was real. Not really real. And I started to repent. And I said, I repent of my unbelief. You are real. And my whole body went pens and needles. I couldn't move. I couldn't speak. My friends were laying me out across the chairs, and they were saying, what are we going to do with them? (laughs) And I could hear everything they were saying and couldn't say a word. There was no message, there was no content, it was all very peaceful, but couldn't move for about an hour. When it finally left me, just as it was kind of fading away, I heard the words, I'm not done with you yet. (laughs) Which I should have realized that's trouble, but I didn't know enough to know that. So we go through this whole rest of the week, going to every vineyard meeting thinking, is something going to happen this time? Is something going to happen this time? Is something going to happen this time? Went to every church service, every small group we could, met with a whole bunch of pastors, and we were finally down to the last day, and I was tired, and I was cranky, and we got, went to meet with, like, I think it was the youth pastor. And somebody had come in and messed up his schedule, and he'd gone off to a two-hour California lunch and wasn't going to be back for two hours. And I was really irritated about that, and my friends that were with me said, well, let's just go in the auditorium. It was a big auditorium like this, except it was completely empty. Let's just go in there and worship. And I thought, I don't want to worship. 
I want to stay out here and complain about that guy being late. But you can't say that like when you're the pastor. <laughs> so it was like, okay, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to sit there and I'm going to sing just enough so they don't know anything's a problem, but I'm not really going to be singing on the, on the inside. I'll sing on the outside, but not on the inside. I don't know if you, have you ever done that? <laughs> Anyway, so we're doing that, and they're having a nice time with Jesus, strumming away on the guitar, my two friends, and I'm kind of grumpily kind of coming along. And all of a sudden, I feel like this cool breeze on my face out of nowhere, and I don't th it's not the air conditioning. It's not coming from the right direction, and I think, well, I wonder what that is. I wonder if that's the Holy Spirit. And while I'm asking myself that, one of the guys looks at me, gets up, and puts his hand right there. And as soon as he did, my whole body turns to jello, and I was slumping forward out of my chair onto the ground, and I was laughing, thinking to myself, this is really silly. <laughs> but here I go. But I didn't laugh very long, because when I got down there, it was like fire. Started going up and down my body in waves, like an electric rod of fire just going up and down and it would come in waves, and each time got stronger and stronger and stronger and stronger. And I thought, if this gets any stronger, I'm going to die. And I actually had this picture of LA Times headlines, pastor dies from too much prayer. <laughs> like, I'm going to die here if this goes on. I can't hardly breathe. I'm going to die, and it just kind of keeps going. My friends get up and go to the meeting. They just leave me there with God. And it continued for three-plus hours, just me and God. And when I went home, things started happening. Um, we had a meeting of our church, and we had it. We were an independent church. We weren't part of the vineyard yet. We had a gathering of the whole church. It was not on a Sunday, but it was like a members gathering. And I just got up and said, you know, I think God is about to send a revival to our church. And I didn't know what else to do, so I said, okay, everybody, just stand and relax, and you can open your eyes or close your eyes, and. Holy Spirit, we invite you to come. I was just like, and then waited to see, like, okay, let's see if he comes. And then I, some guy got a funny look on his face, and I thought, well, I still don't know if that's what the Holy Spirit looks like, but let's go with it. He's got a funny look on his face. So I go over there, put my hand on the guy to pray for him, and before I can get a word out of my mouth, he collapses onto the floor. I thought, whoa. <laughs> that's never happened before. I think I'll do that again. Started looking around for somebody else with a funny look on their face. Found one. Boom. Again. Another one. Boom. And then all of a sudden, it was like a wind. Came into the room, and we were in this old Methodist church with metal folding chairs. The old, you know, ones that kind of go like this and that are like torture chairs. <laughs> and you could hear them crashing as people were falling over, like... People started shaking and crying and screaming. And people, some people got under those chairs somehow. They, got, they managed to like leave the chair up and get underneath. 
and they're like shaking and vibrating. I don't know how they did it. And basically, the whole church just kind of went boom. I didn't sleep that night. I thought, oh, we've ruined the church. What have we done? And started rereading my Bible, and then started, when I reread the Bible, started finding out, like, when the Holy Spirit comes, weird things happen. But what happened after that was this. People started getting healed. People started falling in love with Jesus. People started getting set free. People started confessing their sins. You know, all kinds of wonderful and marvelous things started happening that hadn't been happening before. The church started growing. The church plant started happening. The depression was gone. And God was working. Sometimes... God has to do something through you before I can, to you, before I can do it through you. A couple of years ago, a couple of young pastors came to me and they said, uh, we want to know what your secret is. Like, every time you go somewhere, stuff happens. So we want to know what your secret. Like, do you have some kind of prayer and fasting regimen that you do before our meetings? Sort of like, not when there are three meetings a day. Um, what is it? And I said, no, you don't understand. It's not what I do. It's what was done to me. And then it just comes out of that. It comes out of what, what was done to me. Somebody else asked me, have you fulfilled your dreams for your life? And I laughed and said, oh, we passed those up about 15 years ago. God had so much more than what I could ever even dream. And what I want to say to you is simply this. It's real. It's really real. It's not a game, and it's not entirely tame. You say yes, you never know what's going to happen, but it'll be good. It's real. And what God wants to do to touch you, overwhelm you with your power so that your generation can experience his healing and his freedom and his hope. And that's a cause worth living for and dying for.